next couple of weeks, we're just going to study some random topics in the Bible. And then um, I'm taking two weeks off after that because we're expecting the baby. So um, I think Pastor David just confirmed that he's going to be with us on the 3rd. And Pastor uh, Jules is going to be the 10th, right? The second week. And, uh... Okay. We might need to switch it around, but between, between Pastor David or Pastor Jewel, or who knows who, we'll, we'll figure it out. You know what I mean? <laughs> we'll figure it out. But um, So yeah, so this week and next week, we're going to be talking about random topics in the scripture. And then by the grace of God, after that, um, I can't wait to go back to study about um, the shadows of Golgotha. So today, that thing that um, I feel like the Lord has been laying on my heart is... Um, this one verse in two verses in the book of Jonah, actually in the Old Testament. Um, and the title of this message today is the God of the second chances. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Jonah chapter one and Jonah chapter three. If not, you can look in your notes. So I'm going to read these two verses and I want you to um, compare them together. OK, so Jonah one one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Amen? That's Jonah 1, 1. Now, Jonah 3, 1, two chapters later, here is what this verse says. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and preach to it, the message that I tell you, okay? Now, question to you guys, what is the major difference between these two verses? These two verses are almost identical, except with one major phrase in it that it's a little bit different. Can somebody help me out here? Correct. It's pretty much, uh, yeah, it's different wording, but the message is the same. Correct. There is something different, though. I mean, the wording of the Lord here might be a little bit different, but the point is still the same thing. But can anybody help me here with the major difference between these two verses? And you can get your clue from the title of the sermon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that, that phrase, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, right? This is the big difference really between Jonah 1.1 1, 1 and Jonah 3.1. Other than that, it's pretty much the same point in these two verses. And if you guys know the story of Jonah, Jonah was a, a Jewish person, a prophet. In Jonah 1.1, the Bible say, God came to him and say, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to tell them the message that I'm going to share with you. But Jonah did not obey the Lord. You guys know that story, right? He was like, I don't want to go tell these people. And you know why he didn't want to do it? He told us actually in Jonah 4 why he didn't do it. Because he knew that if he goes to Nineveh, God is gracious and merciful that if they actually turn around, he will take them back. And Jonah, in his own dis divisive, wicked thought, didn't want these people to be spared. So he's like, if I go, they actually might repent, might listen, and the Lord might actually, will actually spare them. There's no question about it. And I don't like these people. I don't want them to have any mercy. Amen? So he decided to jump in the sea and go the opposite way from the Lord. But God, in his grace, prepared, the Bible say, a big storm that kind of rocked the ship. Long story short, they ended up throwing Jonah in the sea. And then also God, in his grace, prepared a big whale who 
swallowed Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights. Amen? And then in the belly of the fish, Jonah cried out to God. I'm thinking he just cried out the moment he got in, in that belly of the fish. Did he die? I think he died, and then he, God raised him and spit him out. I just don't see any physical reason that he actually can survive three days in a belly of the fish. Amen? But anyways, whether he died, whether he was alive, who cares? The point is, God miraculously got him out of the belly of the fish three days later. And when Jonah got out of the belly of the fish three days later, God, who came to him in Jonah 1-1, came to him again with the exact same message. Amen? And a lot of people, what is the point of the book of Jonah? Is it that God is gracious and merciful and that he's willing to forgive the people of Nineveh in spite of their wickedness and their sin? And their, once they turn back to God, he will spare them? Correct. That's, that's a good point for the book. But I honestly think that the main theme, the reason for the whole book is God want to show us how he dealt with his own man, Jonah the prophet. And how God in his grace and his mercy, in spite of the disobedience and hard-heartedness of Jonah, and how he publicly dis disobeyed God, yet the grace of God, the, the mercy of God was still there for them, and God gave him another chance. Amen? And that is for me the title of this message. The fact that God will tell you something and then you'll say no. And then in his grace, he doesn't get mad or angry, but he comes back to you a little bit later and say, hey, I want to give you another chance. Amen. This is amazing to me. I, I'm, I'm thinking of my own kids. I mean, I love them to pieces, but I want them to listen to what I tell them to do. Amen. <laughs> when I then tell them to do something and they don't listen, it, 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 I get irritated with them and that giving them a second chance at this minute is the last thing I'm thinking of. Amen. <laughs> I'm thinking, you didn't listen to what I'm telling you. I'm, I'm going to have you suffer for it, <laughs> you know, in a good way. I love them to pieces. But do you see what I'm trying to say here? You know what I mean? Even as a father who loved them so dearly, I want them to listen to me. And it does bug me when I ask them to do something and they disobey me, right? But not so is the love of God. Amen? God is not that way. Yes, he, he wants us to be obedient, and there is discipline for not obeying him. But the end of the day, his heart is still full of grace and mercy, that even if we disobey and we run away from him and do everything wrong in his eyes, he's still not just able, but also willing to give us another chance. Amen? And that's today we're gonna. That's what we're gonna talk about today. The God of the second chances. We're gonna look into different stories in the Bible of people who publicly disobeyed God and did everything wrong that He did not like. Yet, in His grace and His mercy, He wanted and He did give them another chance. Amen. Amen. So the first example will be um, King Manasseh. That's in the Old Testament. So um, who is King Manasseh? King Manasseh from 2 Kings 2021, he is the son of King Hezekiah. 2 Kings 2021. So uh, Hezekiah rested with his father, then Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. Amen? If you know the story about King Hezekiah, King Hezekiah was a very godly king. He's one of the very few kings that actually did right in the eyes of the Lord. Amen? So much so that when, when Isaiah the prophet went to him and said, King Hezekiah, you're about to die. Put your house in order. King Hezekiah cried out to God and said, God, remember the faithfulness. Remember how I tried to obey you. Would you please spare, this, spare me out of this death? And the Bible said that, before Isaiah even left the house, 
before Isaiah left the house. When, like he, he's in the king's palace in the room telling King Hezekiah, and before he went out of the yard, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah again and said, go back to him, tell him I'm going to spare him, and I'm going to give him 15 more years of his life. Amen? This was a godly king. Amen? You expect his son to be as godly as he is, or even more godly than he is, because he has seen the ways of his father. But not so did King Manasseh. We read his pretty much full story in, in 2 Chronicles um, 33, 1-13. And we see another version of that story in the book of Kings. So let's just read through it, and I'm going to make some comments as we go along. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. But he did what? He did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abomination of the nations whom the Lord has cast out before the children of Israel. Verse 3, for he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, has broken down. This is the places where they would worship idols. So Hezekiah tore it down because he wanted to please God. What does Manasseh do afterward? He built it again up. That house was broken down. He raised up altars for the bow and made wooden images, idols. He made idols to worship them. And he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He worshipped every other god but the Lord. Amen? Verse 4. He also built altars where? In the house of the Lord, in the temple, in the, in the uh, you know, we talked about this. There is the yard, there is the holy place, there is the holy of holies. Inside that temple that Solomon built, the house of the Lord, King Manasseh put idols there. This is as wicked as it can be. Amen. Um, and then he also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in, in the two courts of the house of the Lord, in the holy and in the holy of holies, or the outer court and the holy place. The, he built altars there. He built, um, he built idols there. Verse 6, He also caused his sons uh, to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. That's where we get the word Sheol or hell from later. And he practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft and sorcery, and consulted mediums and spiritists. I mean, the Bible is just having this massive list of every wicked thing he did. And look at this. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He even set a carved image, the idol the idol which he had made in the house of God, which God said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I'll put my name forever. And I will not again remove uh, the foot of Israel from the land which I have appointed for your father. Only if you, this is the quote from the Lord, only if you are careful to do all that I have commanded you according to the whole law and the statutes and the ordinance in the hand of Moses. Verse 9, so Manasseh did what? Seduced Judah and the inhabitant of Jerusalem to do what? More evil than all the nations whom the Lord has destroyed before the children of Israel. Think about it. Think about it. Manasseh did more evil or more wickedness than the heathens of his time, than the heathens that the Lord cast out from the land. This is how wicked he was. Amen? This is bad, isn't it? Actually, let's stop here. If you go down, 
Second Kings 23 to 26. This is other like examples, biblical references of how wicked Manasseh was. Second Kings 23 to 26. Nevertheless, the Lord did not return from the fears of his great wrath with which... Uh, he, his anger was aroused against Judah because of all the provocations which King Manasseh has provoked him. So think about this. After King Manasseh, a couple of more kings came back, came after him and ruled over Judah. But ultimately, God decided to cast Judah out of the land and put them into captivity. You know why God ultimately decided to do that? Because of the sins of King Manasseh. God did not get over how wicked and how bad King Manasseh was. That even kings and kings later, he still cast the whole nation into captivity because of the wickedness of King Manasseh. Amen? First, second Kings 24.3 Surely, look at this, surely at the commandment of the Lord, this came upon Judah. That's the captivity, the destruction for the Judah. To remove them from his sight. Why? Because of the sins that they have committed. No, because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done. You guys get the point? This was the most wicked king ever reigned in Judah. Amen? He was so wicked that even a few kings later, God still could not get over the wickedness that Manasseh himself has done. He puts idols in the house of God. He puts his kids through fire, which is a practice for the pagan gods at that time. And he does more evil and more wickedness than the heathens that they were dwelling in that land before. This is a bad king. Amen? What do you expect? What should be the natural response from God to such a king who does so much wickedness? Can, can somebody help me out? What is more natural for God to do at this point? Judge him, right? Just put him to death, rowing him once and for all. I mean, he provoked God to wrath. And when he gets the wrath of God, he just gets what he was seeking, right? Right? But let's go back and read that story, what the Lord has done to him. Verse 10. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not. I don't get that. I don't get that. They are just being wicked. They're doing evil one thing after another. You would expect God to be so mad and so angry with them that he will do whatever it takes to ruin them once and for all. Amen? But not so our God. Amen? He spoke to Manasseh and his people. He sent them a messenger. One after the other tried to get them back, to turn back to him, and they would not listen. I tell you, for me as a father, I find this extremely out of my nature. It's like I love my kids again to pieces, but when they don't listen, I'm not going to go after them with grace and mercy to try to have them listen to me. You know what I mean? Because I want them to know that they need to respect daddy. You know what I mean? So, but God is not like that. Even though King Manasseh did more wickedness than any other king has ever ruled over Judah, and he has no reason to do so, his father was godly, he so from past history, that when he follows the king, follow the Lord, the nation prosper. And when the king disobeyed the Lord, the nation will fall apart. Yet he chose to do wickedness. Yet God in his grace and his mercy chose to keep going after him with his grace and mercy. Amen? It's amazing to me when you go out and witnessing and people tell you, the God of the Old Testament is a bloodthirsty, angry God. I don't know what they're talking about. Look at this. Verse in, in 2, Kings, uh, 2 Chronicles 33, verse 10. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. Does that sound to you like a bloodthirsty, angry God? Mm -hmm. 
That sounds to me like a merciful, gracious God who's doing all what he can possibly do to bring the people back to them and spare them his judgment and his wrath. But when they keep on refusing and keep on resisting, you can't blame him for punishing them, amen? Verse 11. Therefore the Lord brought upon them. Therefore. Why? Because they did not listen. Because they did not obey the voice of God. The result of their stubborn heart and stiff neck is this. The Lord has brought upon them the captains of the army of king of Assyria, of Babylon. Syria, Babylon. Verse 12. Now when, when uh, he was in affliction. Think about this. So they brought it to him. Uh, the king of Syria. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed the line. Who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. They put a hook in his nose, and they pulled him all the way to Babylon with fetters of bronze in his feet. He was less than an animal the way they dragged him out of his kingdom. Amen? The, he went all the way down in affliction. Verse 12. Now when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the Lord his father and prayed to him. Amen? Stop here. What do you think God should do at this point? I tell you what I would do if I were in that position. The only words that will come out of my mouth is, I told you, right? I told you this is going to happen to you. You don't listen, right? You deserve what you're in. There's nothing at this point I can do for you. That's what I would do, right? That's what a lot of people will do, right? But not so the Lord our God. Amen? Because he is the God of the second chances. Look at this. And he received his entreaty. The Lord received the entreaty of King Manasseh, heard his supplication, and did what? Brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. He brought him back to become king again. Then Manasseh, and here is the greatest thing of that story, then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. Because God has shown him such grace and such mercy that he did not deserve. He knew that the Lord is God. Amen? We're talking about today the God of the second chances. Amen? The God who doesn't care how much you have ruined your life, how many bad decisions you have done, how far you have gone away from him. If you just come back to him and implore him, he will take you back in and he will restore whatever the enemy has plundered away from your life. Amen? The God of the second chances. Well, let me just read this passage before we move forward. If you have your Bible, let's turn to Jeremiah, one of these passages that is just crazy to me. I think it's Jeremiah chapter 3. Let's see if it's there. Good thing we're small here, so if I make a mistake, I'm not going to worry about it. <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah 3, 1. Just going to read these few verses here. This is one of these passages that just... Blows your mind away. It, it cannot be real. Amen? I'm talking about the amazing love of God who will not care about how far away we have gone from him and how sinful we are. He's still willing to take us back and give us a second chance. Amen? Look at this. Jeremiah 3.1. If a man divorces his wife and she leaves him and marries another man... Well, the context here is this woman did something wrong, something bad. He ended up, the man divorcing his wife. It's, it's final because of her fault. And then she goes married another one. And then the Lord says, should he return to her again? Would not the land be completely defiled? 
the obvious answer to this is obviously not, right? If a, if a woman messes up the marriage and then she gets divorced, goes to be with another man, her former husband can't go back and take her. He's too hurt to take this woman back. Amen? You guys follow that? And then he says, but you... As a nation, as the children of Israel, have lived as a prostitute with many lovers. Would you know, would you now return to me? Look at this. God says, if, if a woman goes off and prostitutes when she's married and she leaves her husband and to be with another man and he divorces her and the whole marriage is dissolved, this man cannot get himself to take this woman back, his former wife back, right? And you're not just prostituted with one person. You prostitute yourself, God said, as a nation with many other gods, right? And what is his response? I am so mad at you and I will never ever consider taking you back, which should be the natural thing, right? No, he doesn't say that. He say, would you now return to me? He's still asking them to come back because he's still willing to take them back. And in spite of all their sin and their hard-heartedness and just running away from God and doing everything wicked in his sight, he still loved them enough that he's willing to take them back. Amen? We're talking about the God of the second chances. Amen? Let's take, move on to another story, the prodigal son, Luke 15, um, 11 to 24. I think we're all familiar with that story. A man who has two sons. Jesus told that, that parable in Luke 15. A man has two sons. And the, the younger one come to him and say, Hey, dad, for me, you're as good as I did. I want my inheritance. Question, when do you get your inheritance? Generally, when the person who has the money dies, right? You cannot get the inheritance until the person dies, right? So for the small son, for the youngest son to ask for the inheritance, he's telling his dad, you're to me as good as dead. I don't care about you no more. I don't care about your life. I'm considering you dead to me, right? So the son goes to the father and says, give me my money. And the father gives him the money. And then he goes. And he wastes his whole inheritance. Just wasting it. And then he gets to the point that he, he goes to faraway land, wastes all the money, and he gets to the point that he's done with everything and he's in a dire need that he decides to go work in, 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 in a pig farm to, to attend to pigs. Think about it. This is a Jewish boy who grew up knowing that pigs are filthy. They are not animals that you need to be around. But apparently he was too hungry. He did not care. Not only that he attended pigs, but the Bible said that he was longing. He wanted so bad to fill his belly with the pods that the pigs were eating, right? The food that eggs with, pigs were eating. So this is in a way a picture of how bad this son ruined his life. He ruined his life so bad he has become less than animals. You think about it, right? Pigs can go at that story, go and eat as much as they want. But because of sin, his life was so ruined that he was even lower than the animals. This is what sin has done to him. Amen? And then he thought about himself and said, you know what? 
This is, doesn't make any sense. I have servants, slaves at my father's house who have food that is left over and I cannot even eat pig's food. I'll stand up and I'll go back to my father and he starts preparing his own sermon, his own apology. And he's like, I'm going to tell my father this. Um, father, I have, um, I have done wrong. No, 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 this is not strong enough. And he said, I'm going to tell my father, I have sinned. And not just only against you, God, against God and against you, my father. And he's... I think he spent a lot of time trying to prepare his apology, picking up the words very carefully, because he probably thought, my dad will top give me like 20 seconds, and that's all the time I have with him. And if, he's, if I don't use this 20 seconds very, very effectively, then he will never take me back. I just want to put it all out, all on the line, in a very short few seconds, so maybe, maybe, maybe I will stir the mercies of my dad, his heart toward me, and he will take me back, not as a son, I don't even need that, just as a slave, right? And he went back to his dad, and the Bible said that when the father saw the son from afar off, think about that, the father did not care about how bad or how ruined the son has become, right? And the fact that the father was actually waiting for the son to come back. Look at this. The father was not just accepting the son. The father was waiting for the son to come back. Do you see that? He was not just saying, all right, I'm here. When you come to me, we'll figure it out. He was anxiously every single day waiting for his prodigal son to come home. And he did not care about the money. He did not care about the son's attitude. He did not care about anything. All what he cared about is this. I love my son so much. And if, he just, if I just see him, I'll forgive everything he has ever done. Amen? And the father gave the son a second chance. Amen? And he came back to his house. And he did not take him. Look at this second chance. I mean, think about King Manasseh. When the Lord restored him, he restored him as king. He restored back everything that he has ruined, right? And when the prodigal son came back to his father, the father did not take him in as a slave. He took him back as a son. Again, he, re he restored back everything that this son has ruined with his own decision. Amen? Because our God is a God of the second chances, right? Just like Jonah, when he ruined the call of God on his life and ran away from God, God came back to him and he's like, come back to me. I still want to send you back still as a prophet, as a man of God to the, to the nation of Nineveh or the city of Nineveh. And I still want you to preach the exact same message that you preached before. Amen? The God of the second chances. When God restores, he doesn't restore 50% of what you have ruined with your sin. Amen? Okay, I need a bigger amen than this. When God restores, he doesn't restore part of what you have ruined because of your sins. Amen? He restores everything that sin has ruined and taken away from you and even more. Amen? amen. Let's move on to the last story. Peter, one of the church leaders. We read that story in Matthew 26, 69 to 75. So... Let's read it together because I want to point out a couple of things here. You, you're probably familiar with that story. Peter was one of the most vocal um, disciples that Jesus had. He is um, a charismatic person, a leader by nature. Uh, the guy would just step into every single situation without being invited. I love that about him. So here he is. This is the leader of the disciples. Now Jesus is about to be crucified and he denies Christ three times. Jesus told him actually before that. He's like... Peter, the devil has come after you, but I have prayed for you. And he was like, 
you know, this is just didn't make any sense to him. And even uh, after that, when Jesus was telling his disciples, you all going to run away from me. Peter was like, yes, they can. I won't. You know, they can run away from you because they're a bunch of wimps. I am not. I'm sticking with you. And Jesus told him, before the, the rose crow three times, you will, before the rose crow, you will deny three times that you know me. Now, here is the story in Matthew 26, 69 to 75. Now, Peter sat outside. Jesus is being captured by the Romans, by the soldiers, and he's being persecuted. Now, Peter sat outside the courtyard, and the, a servant, what is that? A servant girl. That's a slave, right? Right? Now, think about that. This is not... One of the leaders of the children of Israel at that time, right? This is not like a Roman uh, officer that can just capture him in, 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 in one command, right? This is a slave girl. What power does this slave girl have? No. Nothing, right? She cannot do anything, right? Okay, she can talk about him, but she cannot do anything to him at that time. A servant, came, came, a servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he did what? Denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what are you saying. I don't know nobody, nothing called Jesus. I've never heard of the guy. This is Peter, okay? Now, it's getting worse. Verse 71. And when he had gone out of the gateway, another girl, probably another slave, saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But he did what now? He denied it again with an... Oh, now he's swearing. He's saying, I swear, I never heard of that Jesus. So before he's like, I just never heard of him. Now he's saying, I swear, I've never heard of him. This is, I think this is uh, Matthew Henry was commenting on that. And he was showing how Peter was just progressing in his denial. Verse 73. And a little later, those who stood by uh, came up and said to Peter, surely, surely there's no question. You also were one of them. Uh, for your speech betrays you. You speak the same accent. Verse 74. Then he began to do what? Curse, Curse and swear. Now, the old Peter coming out, the, the old nature of Peter is coming out. He's cursing and swearing that he doesn't know Jesus. I don't know what he was saying. Was he cursing Jesus himself or was he cursing himself? If he said, let this curse be upon me if I ever heard of that person. Or was he cursing Jesus? The point is, do you see how he was progressing deeper and deeper and deeper in denying Christ, right? First time he just said, I don't know him. Second time he said, I swear I don't know him. Third time he's cursing and swearing that he doesn't know Jesus. Amen? This is bad. That's in front of slaves, not in front of... I mean, imagine if that was a Roman soldier or a Roman officer. What would have Peter done at this time, right? But let's move on. Um, verse 74. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I don't know, not Jesus, that man. I don't even know his name. I don't even know his name. Immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus has said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and he did what? Yeah. Wept bitterly. What would Jesus do to him? What would Jesus do to Peter? Would Jesus restore him? Yes, because he is the God of the second chances. Amen? Look at this, Mark 16, 7. Now, the angel is speaking to uh, the Marys at the tomb. And what does the angel say? But go... Tell his disciples and Peter. So the angel, I mean, isn't Peter one of the disciples, right? Yeah, he is. So technically, the angel didn't need to single Peter out anymore, right? He said, go tell his disciples. That means 
you know, Peter is included, right? But the angel singles out Peter among all the disciples and he said, go tell the disciples and make sure Peter knows about it, right? That Jesus has been risen from the dead. And he is, look at this, what does he say? And that he is going before you into Galilee. Who's going before? Jesus. Going before the disciples to Galilee. There you will see him. Wait, so... Who's going to be waiting for who in Galilee? The disciples waiting for Jesus or Jesus waiting for the disciples in Galilee? Jesus. Jesus waiting because he will go first and he will wait in Galilee for the disciples to come, right? Think about it. This is the Peter who, who just denied Jesus with swearing and cursing that he does not know the man that he cannot remember his name. Yet Jesus goes to Galilee and wait for Peter to come so he can commission him again to be the leader of the church. Amen. Do you see the heart of God? He doesn't care about how sinful Peter behaved. Do you know why? Because he wept bitterly because he cried out to God. Amen. And when Jesus saw that attitude, he just, okay, I don't care. I'm taking you back. And not only that, you're going to be commissioned to be the leader of the church. Amen. And then in John chapter um, <clears throat> 21, 15 to 19, we, Jesus, we see Jesus having a very intimate conversation with Peter, commissioning him three times to feed his sheep and attend his sheep. Amen. Why did Jesus do it three times? This is my personal opinion. No Bible for it. I might be off. But he did it three times because Peter denied Jesus three times. Amen? And in an essence, Jesus said, for every time you denied me, I'm affirming you and I'm confirming you that you're going to be my man who is going to lead the church. Amen? Do you guys see that? The God of the second chances. Let me close with that thought. There is one single common dominators among these, all these people that we just spoke about that the Lord has given another chance. All right? Let's start with Jonah. God gave him another chance. But before God gave him another chance, what did Jonah do in the belly of the fish? He cries out to the Lord, right? What did King Manasseh do? Did God just, once he got into captivity, God showed up to him and say, okay, I'm giving you another chance? No. King Manasseh had to entreat the Lord, implore him for mercy and grace when he did. And when God saw the attitude of his heart, God gave him another chance. Amen? How about the prodigal son? Did he give another chance in the, the faraway country that he was living in? No, think about it. The father was waiting for him, anxiously waiting for him. But the father did not go to the foreign land to bring the son in. Amen? The son had to repent. The son had to change his attitude. The son needed to come back. And when he expressed that willingness, now all what he has done was forgiving. And now he has another chance. Amen? How about Peter? Was he restored? Yes. Yes. But remember, Peter had to weep bitterly and Peter knew that he did something wrong. Do you guys follow that? So my point is this today. There is a God who is full of grace and love whose heart is so eager to lavish his mercy and grace over you. Amen? He doesn't care how sinful you are. He doesn't care how far away you have gone from him. He doesn't care how many bad decisions you have done. He literally doesn't care about anything. He's willing to restore all of that to you. Amen? But he's not going to do it for you. You have to tell him, God, I messed it up. Would you please have mercy on me? Amen? If you truly mean that simple prayer, this is all what God wants to just come into your life with his grace and mercy and restore all the bad decisions and all the ruin and destruction the sin has done in your life. Amen? He's the God of the second chances, but you have to ask for it. You get it? 
I'll say it again. He's the God of the second chances, but you have to ask for it because if you don't ask, you're not going to have it. Amen? Let's close our eyes and pray.